presence remains, because it's not possible to get rid of presence. It's, presence is the way in which we can experience, and it must not be felt that presence is a mistake. Presence is also the the face or the dynamic expression of that absolute. They are like one thing, like a flower and its fragrance. They are they are like that. So the the, the feeling of going beyond is not uh, that you can discard presence. I mean, who would you be? You see, just to understand that uh, the vital force and consciousness in the form. Uh, expresses uh, that is the the dynamic expression of that which we are, and not to keep feeling that it's a mistake and that's that's less or you know it's just our active life, our active existence, but it is in the realm of uh, duality and changeful. This we know, but something in it that that is um, imminent in it, there is something which is constant in that. In that flux, and so it's not they are two distinctly different things. It's not even two. And and these are things that can only really be resolved um, in your own meditation. Enough cannot be with the words alone. It has to get uh, chewed and swallowed, and somehow assimilate itself in that. Because really, like what I'm saying is that there's some awareness of a bodiless. I don't want. To, I don't have to say existence. It's so. It's so. Uh, yes, or the way we can say it, that within which the bodily existence is perceived. But but yeah. but um, there's some. Uh, it feels like there's some awareness, even without the body. Mm. Well, there is awareness which is not the body. The body arises in it, so this comes before. It is there, like space. For a human being, it has no value. For a human being, it has no value. It cannot be made use of. It doesn't give you an advantage. The human being is that that aspect of consciousness, which is uh, in which consciousness can experience selfishness also. And constantly we are looking for what benefits us, what is to our advantage, what what threatens our existence, and so on. So. When we were having this investigation, he said something beautiful. He says, "I see now that consciousness or awareness, the pure being, um, it has no meaning. But delusions have a lot of meaning. And I like having meanings and purpose, and that's what's giving me give me a problem." That was his insight. The truth has no it has no value. Meaning it cannot be a commodity that okay, I got the truth and I can use it again, so I can use it to get something. 
This is this is untruth itself. When I say use the expression that this is my piranha question, because as one investigates, the questioner dissolves in the investigation. So there's nobody there to make use of awareness. There's only just the awareness within which there was an idea that finding the awareness would benefit someone. But finding the awareness got rid of the idea of being somebody, of a particular person. It leaves a sort of trace element is there a little bit, and that's okay. I think it's just for the joy of that consciousness, because experiencing should not be seen as, you know, uh, a mistake. We cannot see that this world is kind of like is here for us to suffer. It's a mistake. It must be the pure joy of that also. The movie making of that absolute. The living movie. Mm-hmm. That all this is the screen of consciousness, which is experienceable. But it is a three dimensional screen. <laughs> and the perceiver is also in the play. I guess what these type of contemplations do is that they they kind of kill knowledge. It sounds a bit harsh word to say, but it kind of kills. It shows that knowledge comes after. Yeah, it kills knowledge in the sense that you know this strong aspiration for the the individualized consciousness to to get knowledge. But without understanding itself, the knowledge it gets is also illusory. It is not the highest. This is why self-knowledge is not like other knowledge. It is not a knowledge which requires two things. It is not one thing knowing another thing. This is why I said it is not phenomenal uh, recognition. So, contemplation leaves you without the fuss of uh, Personalized perceiving. Also, with the inquiry, it uh, helps you to ask the right questions. Because we can be asking lots of questions which are of no value, even if you know the answer to them. Because the mind can take the form of that, of the question that asks all the questions that multiplies questions. So it has to be the questions that, you know, subtract questions and brings very quickly. And the mind attention into silence again. <laughs> and only then can you say that the concepts become a mirror. They must bring you back to silence. With the mind and the personality, it's always multiplying and bring you out into the field of diversity. And again, somehow our powers get fragmented, and you just forget. You have a state of uh, of a kind of distraction from this. Thinking too about the mirror. So you yeah. were asking yesterday about the mirror. Yeah. The mirror is just a mirror. So it just yeah. shows you reflection. But yeah. what happens is, okay, imagine if you went went shopping and you had all these bags and you so many bags that you could just kind of barely see over the top and you pass a mirror. 
you catch a glimpse, but you're focusing on the bags, and the bags are in your way. So in a way, this mirror that you talk about, yeah. a lot of times we come to satsang with just full of our concepts and ideas and our mm. knowledge and our mm. knowing, mm. and it, you might catch a glimpse in the mirror, but you're so busy with holding on to the yeah. everything that you don't really see in the mirror. And also, if you if you're holding on to a lot of things, you won't have the interest to look in the mirror. We have to you have to manage your you have to manage your burdens, which we won't perceive as burdens actually. A question with me, which has remained unanswered, that I've I've asked two three years ago in Sansang, and it's remained unanswered. And in my personal experience, when I go to sleep. It's lights out, mm-hmm. no yeah. past, no awareness. There's nothing before I am, as far as I can tell. Mm. And I've never been able to get an answer that will satisfy me. Okay. And so, so the last year or two, it's just like, okay, that's an unanswered question. We were talking last night, and the question that came up was, do you enjoy sleep? I don't know, because I'm not there. No, no. Before we say that, before we say this, because can there be enjoyment without you being there, as in the normal sense? They say, "Well, I am not there." You know, because then you put it that your reality goes only up to the point of I am and not beyond. So, can there be a joy beyond the scope of I am? This is what we are speaking. No. So, uh, I started off yesterday by saying, "I I love sleep." <laughs> I I came home yesterday. I said I really look forward to sleep. I love sleep. Yeah. I love sleep. And then the question come, well, I only know somebody was saying I only know that I slept well or not when I wake up. And I said, well, what is the evidence of that? Because your your sheets look a mess. And you say, okay, my God, okay, so I must have had a rough night. I didn't sleep very well. You know, is that how you judge whether you had a good sleep or not? Um, and uh, because that was the statement, like I only know when I wake up that whether I slept or not, slept well or not. So it's almost meaningless. I don't know it. I didn't know anything at all. So sleep is completely meaningless. Meaning of word meaning is the right word, but it's like uh, you know, it's it's almost like non-existence. But I was still holding that I loved sleep. <laughs> Because uh, I cited a couple of examples that, uh, for a while, at the moment, is not happening so much now. Because now I have dreams, and for a long time I don't have dreams. I would go somehow like in that state of uh, deep sleep, and um, in total rest, and yet. Um, an awareness was was there. Sometimes I'd snoring or something, and, and then something would be aware of that, and then the response would come. Uh, I'm sorry that uh, about the snoring, but I'm not with my body at the moment. I'm kind of in a kind of contemplation, but I'm not with my body at the moment, and like this. And but there would no change at all. Actually, somehow, the deep sleep would continue in the morning. I'd rise up very refreshed and very very clear. When I start having dreams, I'm not getting up as fresh. But behind this, I'm still the same, not as a abstract theoretical idea, 
but as a living truth, I'm still the same. This is my. If you want to put a measurement, this I'm still the same in this place. I'm not putting so much attention uh, on the body, although the body is knocking from the inside and saying, "Look, you know, you need to give me some attention or something." And uh, I would say that uh, I enjoy sleep. There's a consciousness in the sleep, which is not functioning, is not shopping, is not going out looking for things to participate in. And it's not it's not dream. There is an awareness, but it's not particularly an awareness of. You can speak of awareness and you can speak of awareness of. One is a dualistic, meaning are you aware of what? That there are people coming. This is aware of. But there's an awareness that doesn't have to have an off attached to it. You see? Awareness of existing. Just awareness. Yeah. Just awareness. Existence may arise in it, but the fact this is a very important thing because sometimes we feel that we only begin to perceive uh, when a thing is is seen and then the perceiver the perceiver of it arises and comes into being or something like this you see yeah like mm, these tablets are here they are completely would have been here all the time and are completely not engaged in. So effectively they don't they don't exist because they're not registering my consciousness. I haven't struck up a relationship with them. And the minute I see them, it reminds me that I need these tablets for the body to be kept in more balance. So then the very seeing of them and the remembering of taking them gives rise to in 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 the in the mind of uh, someone who needs these tablets until then this one didn't exist but when the t- the seeing of the tablets created the sick one <laughs> in a sense you understand so that uh, we can look at it like that that um only when we are interested in something like other people remind you that you exist for instance your mother remind you that you are a son. Otherwise, you're not thinking you are a son, or something. The person, the relationship you have, your girlfriend remind you you are a boyfriend to somebody. Otherwise, you're not these things. So in that moment, that role comes in, and you are awake in that role. And if you're surrounded by your girlfriend or boyfriend and mother, father, your your daughter, your sister, your nephew, your friend, enemy, employer, all together. Which role are you like that? You are speaking with every one of them. Your daughter says, Hi, Dad. He says, Hi, darling. How are you doing? And in that moment, your dad and then your employer goes, You know, yes, so, would you want so on? Oh, yes, so, so on, so on, so on, so on. Are you becoming different people? So, in a sense, it's like, the, the the role that we play seems to give a definition to our being for that moment, for the duration of that time. But beyond and outside of that, all those roles are only happening into a very neutral consciousness, which doesn't belong to anybody. It's not a son or a daughter or a Buddhist or a Muslim or anything. It's just the awareness, and it's not an awareness of. It's just the awareness. Now, can we discern or uh, distinguish? Uh, the difference 
or are we always compelled by the very fact that we are conscious to be in a role? You may say that the most um, uh, persistent role is the role I am. That as soon as the waking state is there, the 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 major player is the I am, and everything reports to the I am. You see. So the question arose yesterday. That first of all, all our thoughts, and perception, feelings, time, space, relationships, experience of phenomena, all our religious views, our conditioning, everything that is known or perceived through the senses or the mind, with the help of imagination or memory, all of these things, all of it must report to I, to the feeling I am, isn't it? That makes sense of them. That defines the context of those perceptions or something. So the I, the I am, is the most important. What we call that godly principle inside the body, because all things only upon the arising of I can the perception of you be felt, or other be felt, based upon the self-perception I am. And then we see that, but okay, so that must be. That itself is the is the is the is the aperture through which everything on this side of it is the manifest world, including I put there also the emotion, because if everything here is seen as bound in time and movement and so on, and everything behind the eyes, uh, let's say, emotion and you know, feeling and thought and whatever, is also uh, phenomenal to some extent, no, to all of that. But all of it is known to the to the sense I am, who is the perceiver of them. Then, the highest practice of most religion of religion is to to distinguish between the I am and the, and 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 what I am perceives, to come to the unassociated I am. This is the the height of uh, uh, spiritual uh, pursuit. No? To come to that unmixed. Sense of the sense I am, the sense of presence. Then we say, the sense of presence itself is also perceived, perceivable. Now, in some mindsets, that question cannot be embraced as yet. It's too busy trying to get only to the unmixed I am, and it's just cutting through the brambles. It can't get out of them, basically. But there's a point to which, at which, the feeling itself, I am. Is itself uh, observed. It's very subtle. It's not observed necessarily as they are solid being in front of something to be seen, but it is observed in the subtlest intuitive capacity that we know that, for instance, that at this moment we are conscious, and we are in a state of consciousness in which dualistic functioning is taking place, and we are perceiving that. We know, and call this phase of perceiving the waking state. So we know that we are experiencing the waking state. Are we the waking state? Are we the waking state and the experience of the waking state? Is that our ultimate truth and reality? Because if we are ourselves only defined by the waking state, and the waking state is not continuous, it's in a cycle of changes between a dreaming state and uh, deep sleep. Then you have to then testify that there is some break in your being, that you are only you are ninety percent you in the waking state, 
okay eight and a half percent in the in the dreaming state and maybe what's left one and a half percent in the in the you know which are which are basically concepts so the way that we know ourselves our relationship our time memory and all of that which makes us us as people as distinct distinct personalities or entities is that our ultimate reality this is what i'm putting you see because we only know this and have this experience for maybe 14 hours each day 16 hours 14 hours each day you can be john or susan or whatever you can't be susan for 24 hours because some other states must intervene they will come choicelessly so are we more real in the waking state less real in the dream state and absolutely non-existent in the deep sleep state or is there a reality beyond those changes which we are is our reality confined only in the waking state and the rest we just kind of suppose do we have uh, different levels of reality intensity of reality or are all of these can be cast a net can be cast over all of them as being some aspect of uh, phenomenality or something that is all phenomena whether it's waking state dreaming state or deep sleep is a kind of phenomenon and there is something beyond that which we are that we are always beyond that fundamentally potently obviously timelessly effortlessly and that the waking state dream state the functioning of perceiving state is the smaller part of us i don't know can you say these contemplations are not only actually for answers the contemplation itself is doing something the interned attention itself is revealing more than a conceptual answer can give because somehow it dissolves the factory for for illusions the feeling i am i am this is what i am that is producing more noise and more distortions actually and if that is cooled down or completely washed out what is left which is undeniable to itself remains and i don't know if the, then, then the present questions will will be there with it or not it doesn't have it doesn't raise these questions anymore these questions are only fascinating once the feeling i am and i am a person is mixed together then that cocktail can produce all these kind of questions that seem to be deeply spiritual questions but in the pure state these questions are not even any important actually because it's not uh, trying to solve anything everything has been dissolved in its presence so just through the the what you may call the the tradition and condition and programming of our minds these questions that seem like they are very potent important questions they seem to have a to have authority and power but in the pure state they're not there the birds know it and the worms know it they don't know it in a sense they know it be it 
but somehow at the same time they don't know it. Also, they don't know it. If you conceive of them as a day, I wrote something some while ago. I don't know if uh, you probably remember it. I said, "There's no bird inside a bird. There's no tree inside a tree. There's no man inside a man. They're just the forms through which consciousness is dancing." We are thinking that there is a person inside the body. <laughs> that there's a there's a horse inside a horse, thinking I'm a horse. But there's no such thing. There's just a horse form and consciousness manifesting through that unit. Somehow the miracle it produces this um, a kind of a working title called me while it's in this form you know it says yeah i did this and i did that actually it can say that that it as the vital force in the conscious is the door of these actions and not the person but when he believes it is the person it feels that the person is doing but the person is entirely illusory but that has to be proven inside the heart it can't be proven on the blackboard it has to be proven inside the heart that it's true. It's not. It cannot be that. And then, once it is somehow felt intuitively, then it's going to make way to actually demonstrate it to you. It's going to demonstrate that knowledge to you. In a way that is much more tangible. Once you make room for that understanding to open up, then it will demonstrate it. It will take on a three-dimensional form, in order to to speak the language we best we best are comfortable with. Sometimes this is what the consciousness does. It, it if you are not able to understand it in a, in its subtlety or in its abstract form. Then it will take on. It will embody a, a, a three-dimensional scenario to make it uh, to make it really felt in the way that is our our most comfortable way of um, accepting or embracing something. So it's um, really. You know, it's it's already a great privilege, really, to be able to be having conversations like that about these things. Out of our own kind of conditioning, somehow, far too much energy goes to serve our terrestrial existence, and uh, not sufficient attention is put. Towards you know, really solving this uh, this mystery. Not solving it mentally, but really just to, in a way, dissolve yourself in it. But some factors have to come into play, being brought about by grace somehow. That that attraction is born inside you. Otherwise. It's like we are 
a little bit to living like a fugitive to our own self. Because at a certain point it comes that it becomes so burningly, brightly clear that what is behind the physical eyes, looking through them, is the universal being itself. That create this body like a kind of a, a lens through which it can somehow have the taste of diversity and something. It produced it. Just like a spider produces a web out of its own body and then goes and lives inside the web. The consciousness has created all of this somehow and is imminent inside the creation. Playing as both the, the form of it, the functioning of it, and the perceiver of the functioning, and beyond. And there is something inside us that allows us to sort of like know that in a way that you just cannot explain how, how that is known. And it keeps on. Uh, showing itself in innumerable ways, all its subtleties, its brightness, its beauty. But uh, it seems to pour itself into into some vessel that it most cleans and prepares to have that feeling. And if there is any strong lingering attachments to the person, it just somehow interferes a little bit with that. It brings in, you know, grief and sorrow and false fears about, you know, this is going to happen and all of this stuff. And it's, it's. Mm, there's nobody hearing these words, and there's no one to apply them. They happen, and if they please the consciousness, they blossom somehow, and come into full flowering and fruit. By themselves, there's nobody doing it. <coughs> if it comes to be this idea that there's someone inside who does that, then it does it very awkwardly. But if the understanding somehow flourishes internally because it somehow it brings a sort of satisfaction to the being, then the outcome of that, uh, no one can copyright that. And that, I say, is part of the greatness of consciousness. That things are just, again, uh, coming back to an original harmony, which is, which, is, which is original to us, that harmony, but was momentarily um, distorted uh, through perception rather than through actuality. But that distortion gave rise to all this mischief, all the trouble. Because we start to conceive of ourselves as merely the bodies, and so restrict and confine our energies, which is also a part of the play, the great play, for a while. But it's never fixed. The coordinates are never fixed. It's constantly changing, evolving somehow within that, within its within its own dreaming. It's like the god is growing and maturing inside God's own dreaming. Dreaming within the perfection 
a dream of imperfection and a kind of uh, a return to perfection. This is the whole story of the the dance of the manifestation, not just for the human being, but for all the sentient forms, or in that evolutionary drive. What an amazing thing! But even for whom is the amazement? The human form of consciousness always have to have something in the account. But the pure self does not need any account. It's just infinite capacity pouring unceasingly out of itself. It has no no limitation, no restriction. Nothing has authority above it. And to come to the realization that you are one with that, my God. Even the even the demons will begin to sing hymns when they realize these things. <laughs> that they are part of that grand play, that grand dance. So time and again it's like our satsangs is bringing you back again to emptiness, time and again, time and again. And see how quickly it takes for you to fill up again. And again, empty. And to get used to that natural being, which doesn't have to save up anything. Just out of its emptiness, this kind of emptiness, fullness, it can manifest anything without preparation, without run-ups, without practice. So fresh. Nothing in the existence is a rehearsal. Everything is fresh, except the mind of men. And so, what people imagine, you can know. What people imagine, yeah, what would be like if, if you're empty, you'll be lost. You can know. Now you know it. You can know that's that which is completely void, empty of any content, and see if you suffer. See if you're stupid. See if you're poor or rich or anything. See if you're retarded or incapacitated. Not at all. You're in your virile being and still empty. Shine.